Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Off Script with Pastor Jared Solo in the studio today, looking at a topic that uh, really no one asked for. It's just coming from my mind. Uh, it's something I thought might be helpful to you as you sort of uh, navigate the greater Christian landscape and you come into contact with words and phrases that maybe are just not normal in your Baptist lexicon. So today I want to talk about creeds. That's right, creeds. And uh, no, I don't mean uh, your favorite band from the late 90s, early 2000s, with arms wide open. Not not that. That's not what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, no, good band anyway, you know, but uh, we're going to talk about creeds as in short statements, short digestible statements that summarize larger teachings. Okay. So the definition of a creed is, is comes from the Latin word credo, which we would say in English, I believe. So those statements, I believe, and then dot, 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 uh, th- that was the first word of the Apostles' Creed. And that's kind of where the language took root and took off. So by saying, I believe in Latin credo, you know, how these things kind of come over and become our phrases. Uh, we, we use now the word creed. And what we mean by that is a, a small, short, uh, digestible statement of faith, if you will, a, a little a digestible way to share what you believe about something. And usually it's said it in a way to be somewhat memorizable. I think that's the hope of a creed um, because we have other things. We have confessions. We have statements of faith. Um, and my guess is that the creed would be the shortest of those three, that they were meant to be the most digestible, quickest easily memorizable thing out of all those options. You know, you have the Westminster Confession, the London Baptist Confession, the Baptist Faith and Message, which is a statement of faith. Those are all longer. Creeds are meant to be shorter. And um, so I want to look at that today and just expose you to the top three creeds of church history so that you're kind of aware of what they are. So uh, the Bible has some creeds. I think I think you could agree the Bible has a couple of short phrases that get used over and over again. Some would say the phrase Jesus is Lord is a creed, that it's kind of a memorizable, quick phrase, Jesus is Lord, and that that is maybe one of the first Christian creeds uh, ever spoken. Uh, some would say that the Jewish phrase, the Shema, that De- Deuteronomy 6-4 phrase, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That That's a creed, uh, of an old Jewish creed. Now, Jews might disagree with that, but the fact that it was a memorizable, quick phrase intended to convey truth, it, that's not debatable. It definitely is. So one of the most famous Bible creeds, Um, not written after the Bible, not written to summarize the Bible, but literally from the pages of Scripture, is uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And this is where Paul is talking about the resurrection of Christ. He mentions that he... uh, he saw Jesus alive, and he's kind of telling about it. And he has what scholars believe is something that was pre-written, that Paul didn't write this, but Paul is reciting something 
that already existed and, and was being circulated at the time by people and would have been one of the earliest Christian creeds. And that comes from uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen three, where it says, Paul says, I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. And here's, the, here's where the creed would begin. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So that little section of verses right there, perhaps, I know Gary Habermas believes, is the earliest Christian creed and would date the the resurrection of Christ very early, would date the uh, official teaching on it very early, um, and that would be one of the first creeds. So uh, as church history goes on, uh, the apostles die, and you're now getting into the post-apostles era, sort of the very late 90s, the, the, the end of the first century, going into the second century, between 100 and 200 AD, you start going through, in church history, the growing pains of making sure your theology is recorded, making sure that people are believing what the apostles taught, and getting that message out, and making sure that when people challenge those true teachings of the apostles— that you are ready to defend it, that you have your theology recorded, written down, memorized, that you know how to dispute someone that says, you know, hey, Jesus wasn't actually God, you know, and, and you, so you have something ready. You can, you can say, well, actually, and you have something prepared. That's why these creedal statements came to be. And you'll find that they become more necessary as church history goes on. Uh, but what I want to do is tell you the first, the the big three. Um, I want to make sure you're aware of the big three creeds in church history that came quickly. Uh, so the first one may be the most um, famous. I don't know. It's one of the top two most famous creeds. It's definitely the OG, uh, the Apostles' Creed. So the Apostles' Creed came around uh, somewhere. Now, you'll see some people swear it was from the 200s. You'll see some people swear it was later than that. Uh, we don't know. We know that the apostles didn't write it. That's not why it was called the Apostles' Creed. It's supposedly a concise, quick summary of the apostles' teachings. Now, a lot of churches still recite this today. They still read this, still memorize this. Um, Baptist churches tend not to. I'll get into more of that later. Um, I don't think we have to be anti-creed, but a lot of Baptist churches tend to be very uh, creed-hesitant. And uh, let me just read this. I want to read these three creeds for you today, because uh, if you're from the Baptist tradition, you probably has, have very minimal exposure to creeds at all. So I just want to let you know what's out there. The Apostles' Creed, and this is uh, there's several versions, so I took what was called the ecumenical version, okay? Um, so it says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. So that's the Apostles' Creed. Nothing in there is just overtly bad. Um, in fact, it's all pretty good. Some people, there's two spots that give some people some eyebrow raising. Um, the first is when it says he descended to the dead. A lot of your translations of this will say he descended into hell, and that gives a lot of people pause, and they say, I don't know if I believe that. Um, you know, they like the idea of, of more he descended to like into the tomb or into the ground or just that he died. And um, some people believe that Christ descended into hell. Maybe that's another podcast episode for another time. Um, I, I'm personally not convinced. I wouldn't be bothered if I found out that it was 100% certain. I'm not personally convinced at this point that Christ did descend to hell. So it would be hard for me to say the creed not being sure of that. Um, but that's why this other version exists where it says he descended to the dead. I think that kind of lets you, with a clear conscience, just say that he really died and was really put into the ground. Uh, but anyway, the other spot that some people have trouble with is that word Holy Catholic Church. But it really shouldn't bother you because that word Catholic doesn't mean Catholic Church as in not Protestant. It means Catholic is the original definition of the word Catholic is universal. So all they're saying is that there is one true church being that uh, those who are in Christ, that there's one universal church, um, and that's that's all they're trying to say. And the rest of it is pretty standard Christian theology that they had very early. And, uh, you know, I, I could I could read that creed. You know, we could study that creed. I think you could do a sermon series on that creed, and it would be fun and interesting. So I got no problem with the Apostles' Creed. I don't know historically the same way with the next two I'm going to give you. I don't know if there's anything that caused the Apostles' Creed to be written, um, you know, like there was a heresy that made it happen, or if they just felt like it's time to put some pen to paper and get some theology down. But that's it. That's the Apostles' Creed. Nothing weird, uh, nothing strange, pretty standard Christian theology, really um, kind of thin at this point. You know, you can tell they haven't faced many battles yet because uh, it doesn't give a lot of detail. That's coming. So next is the Nicene Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, Council of Nicaea. So in the 300s AD, uh, another group met for the Council of Nicaea, and they were discussing a lot of the issues of the day. And one of the big issues at the time was was a heresy called Arianism. Uh, Arianism was uh, taught by a guy named Arius, and he said that Christ essentially was created. He was kind of downplaying Christ a little bit, saying that this he uh, is not eternal, he is not co-equal with God the Father, he's not God himself. And um, so this was called Arianism. It was a hot debate that went on at the time. Uh, and so in response to this, the, the church and the council wrote another creed, which seems like they kind of had the Apostles' Creed in their back pocket and, and thought, you know, let's, let's flesh this out. Let's beef this up a little bit. So I'll read the Nicene Creed to you now, uh, which says this. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, 
and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, the very God of very God, begotten, not made, being in one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and on the third day rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. All right, Nicene Creed, a bit more beefy, a few more uh, qualifiers, a lot of that content. The new stuff was really around Jesus. It was really around making sure you know they believed Jesus was, in fact, a co-equal with God the Father. Clearly added some more to beef up the Holy Spirit part because, you know, that would have just been another debate if they didn't. So they went ahead and added it, a lot of deity language to the Holy Spirit. And you've got pretty much another—I uh, would say the Nicene is red— commonly in many churches today. It's it's pretty common. So that's the second one. The last one is the Chalcedonian Creed, and that came in 451 AD. Now again, this was because a problem. Most of the time, your theology gets defined when someone starts poking at it, okay? Usually people are pretty comfortable until someone starts to raise another issue that makes you have to defend yourself, and then all this doctrine starts flowing. So um, in 451 AD, uh, the council met at Chalcedon, and that was to refute a guy named Eutyches who taught uh, that Christ had one nature. So trying to say that he was... uh, more divine and not man. Interesting because today we we have the opposite debate most of the time. We're trying uh, most people in our age today say Christ is man but he's not God. Well, in these days they thought it was easier to prove that he was God but they didn't believe he was man. So inter- you know, just different times, right? So here's the Chalcedonian Creed, 451 AD says, we then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with us according to manhood, in all things like unto us, without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the 
property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided in two persons, but one in the same Son, and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. I'm going to breathe now. So that one got a little wordy. <laughs> and this is kind of how thing, things build, right? So you started with the Apostles' Creed, you moved to the Nicene Creed, and then you have the Chalcedonian Creed. And, you know, you can see how these theologians start debating every single word. And you have little factions that sp- that split off because they don't like this phrase, or I don't like how you use that phrase, or can we pick another phrase? And with all those little words trying to define something so already difficult to to put into human language that the dual nature of Christ, um, you know, we now call it the hypostatic union. But, I mean, they had to come to that consensus, and it was just difficult. And so um, those three creeds are the most common. So if you if you are not really familiar with creeds, but today you, you learned three things. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Chalcedonian Creed, all right? The Apostles' Creed's the short one, the first one. The Nicene Creed was to deal with Arianism, that Christ was created. The Chalcedonian Creed was to deal with them saying that Christ only had one nature, but trying to defend the fact that he was both God and man. So, if you remember that, you'll have learned something today, all right? Now, to the practical element of what value do these have? Um, I think it helped at the time. I think it helped them sort through their theology in real time as they were trying to defend against heresies. Now, uh, those wordings, I think, got a little bit over the top by the third creed to where it's hard to even understand, but... Um, in today's church scene, you know, a lot of your more traditional liturgical churches, you know, your, oh man, your Anglicans, your Episcopalians, some Methodists, you know, your, your mainline churches are going to read those. They're going to have these in there. And I think they're fine. I think they communicate true theology. But uh, historically, your your Baptists, your low church crowds, like your Baptists and your Pentecostals, we really don't do these creeds and we don't read them in our churches. I think, as I've kind of thought about it, I think it would be okay if we did, but it just doesn't really jive well with our church culture. Um, you typically Baptists have have been have had this phrase. And I don't know how I feel about it. That we've always said no creed but the Bible or no creed but Christ. That's something Baptists have have said. And I get what they're trying to say is why do we have why do we have all these strangely worded statements when we can just go to the scripture and read that which seems to be more clear than what you've devised in these in these creeds. Um, on one hand I get that. On the other hand we have to admit there is a need at times to summarize and phrase your theology quickly. Um, I think we could write 
creeds today that are that are pretty good and maybe easier to read. I think the Apostles' Creed is pretty simple. Uh, so, you're, whenever you summarize the Bible, you're doing theology. You're you're coming up with a succinct way to state your beliefs clearly and quickly. That's doing theology, and in a way, that's making creeds. So, I think we're probably more creedal than we think we are. Uh, we just like to say that we're not. I mean, we have confession statements. We have clear statements of belief. We we have doctrines that we don't budge on. So it's just a matter of, do you want to say them out loud? Do you want to sign them? Do you want to write them down? Do you want to agree on them together? Uh, as soon as you start doing that, you're taking steps towards being creedal, or you're taking steps toward being a confessional people. So I really don't have a problem with confessions and statements and creeds, I think having your theology written down um, is only going to make you stronger. It helps you to uh, say it the best way. It helps you to think about it from all angles. It helps you to be ready to defend against false teaching and heresy. Um, But these three, um, if you're from my tradition, you know, us Southern Baptists, they really don't pop up very often. So I just kind of wanted you today to be aware of them to see them, to know that they exist. Many church traditions use these all the time, but uh, we tend not to. I don't think it's. I don't think they're bad, uh, but I also I understand why Baptists haven't gravitated towards them. But I think uh, if you just read them, I think on their face they're they're fine. There's nothing wrong with using them. Um, it it might make you feel a bit more you know, high church, liturgical, if you use them. And so more power to you if that's something that you want to do in your church service. I think the the content of them is fine. So hopefully you learned something today, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, you are now exposed to uh, the three most famous creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Chalcedonian Creed. So hopefully that's a benefit to you to be aware of those things. And uh, that's all for today's episode of Off Script with Pastor Jared. God bless. Have a great week.